Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. A little uh, allergy impacted, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. And it's that spirits. time of year. Good spirits. I'm all here. year. <laughs> Right. This, this year has been nuts with that. It's easy all year, right, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the same way. John, it's good to see you again. Uh, Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, not as uh, nasally, but still doing <laughs> it's well. G, it's that G2. That's a, better immunity. There you go. Uh, Michael, I know that you, uh, you guys have a great guest on the show. I'm so excited. We were chatting before we hit the record button just a little bit. And uh, you're going to do the honor of introducing the guest to the audience. Uh, I will. Yes, we have. Uh, we're pretty excited about today's podcast. So I wanted to introduce our guest today, Ms. Aprajita Anand. Um, and I will obviously uh, let you, Aprajita, give your background. Uh, but yeah. uh, on your website, you're you're listed as the teen whisperer, which I always find a really interesting, fascinating, uh, fascinating yeah, way of uh, describing yourself. So uh, first off, welcome. Thank you for being a guest. And, and why don't you give us a little bit of your background and sort of the problem I think that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, all three of you. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, yes, I the, the Teen Whisperer is not a, a title a moniker I gave myself. That's what the my parents, the parents of the students I work with, it's an honor that they bestowed on me. Um, and it actually happened in a few from a few different people. Uh, who were not connected wow. to each other. So, yeah. So, yes, a bit about my background. So, I'm British. I think that you guys know <laughs> that. I'm British, uh, British Indian. I grew up in London and I graduated from Princeton University. And I went on to receive my master's in public health from UNC Chapel Hill. And the concentration of that degree was in health behavior and health education. And uh, I've been really interested in those ideas and that kind of training for a long time. And they inform my work. So about 12 years ago, set up a company here in New York. And just like you guys are financial advisors and you advise on financial issues, I'm an academic teen young adult advisor. And I consult uh, with very wealthy families, helping them with their children's educational needs and um general progress yeah so that's um that's my background it's a, it's a really impressive one as well and, <laughs> and so and just to get started here you've uncovered and when you reached out to us and we had our conversations i think both my father and i were pretty fascinated with this uh the, sort of the topic that we're going to talk about today but it, mm -hmm. please introduce sort of what you've what you've uncovered and, ha and what i think we're going to focus a lot on today yeah. So, you know, I, I began my teaching career really doing tutoring and test prep and college counseling, which is, you know, all the rage and people get a lot of support for that. And then I realized really quickly that, that those are just the presenting problems. The real problem was something much deeper. So I, I found that the reason that my students were so successful and that they had achieved a lot of progress um, is that I was most effective as sort of a, a life coach and an advisor. So I still, um, I still work in intense ways on academic and co college planning and career planning stuff, but it's always in the context of much 
deeper, more holistic support, specifically with high net worth parents and their children. So, you know, the, the families I work with, they're a similar demographic to the families that you, John and Michael, you, you work with. Um, and the, the issue is the, the, the sort of issue that we're dealing with here is that um, there's an assumption that financial wealth and access to resources insulates these young people, but actually it can become something that profoundly interferes with building a robust sense of self, a sense of one's own worth outside of money and one's connectedness to meaning and purpose. And so these teen girls and young women that I work with, and that's, that's the focus of my practice, they have a lot of issues. And they're, they're, they have a lot, a lot of struggles and that wealth has not insulated them. So, th so that's really the focus of, of my practice. And, and you know, what we're going to be talking about today is really what they're going through and, um, and ways we can support them, the ways I support them in my practice. Yeah, I think, and I'm so interested in this topic for the the reasons that you mentioned. Because I mean, we see this. I'm sure not at the level that that you do in in terms of working with the families and and the girls that you work with. But I mean, we see this this insulation because there is this assumption that when you have, like you said, financial resources, that okay, all my problems are solved now. And and yeah. I seem to think that it some problems might be solved, but there's a whole host of other responsibilities, maybe not problems necessarily, or they, they could turn into problems, but mm. more responsibilities now that the family generally has uh, in terms mm -hmm. of you know how to transfer values down to the next generation, which we have talked a lot about on this podcast. But uh, we don't get as much into the, I would say, like you mentioned, the sense of self, although I know that that is a, a huge component of that. So yeah. it's really fascinating, the, the, you know, just the whole concept in terms of how you've moved into this new world and yeah. and the other issues that need to be managed now. And I'm gonna jump in here, and 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 I and I remember our first conversation, which was a wonderful one, regarding what's going on via the COVID issue. I thought that mm. was fascinating. COVID has mm. shifted a lot of stress, a lot of problems to these uh, mm. we call them G two G three generation. Why don't you yeah. talk a little bit about what you're fighting uh, again, in addition to what you already deal with, the COVID, mm. the post COVID issues. Well, you know, what I found that COVID has done is that it's it's really brought into sharp focus the problems that were existing and it's exacerbated them. Okay. So so one of the things that, you know, I'd actually love to hear from you, like the, at least the data shows that, um, especially when we're dealing with a lot of wealth families who have a lot of wealth, the first generation, so G1, they're the wealth creators and they have really become connected with, you know, they didn't grow up in wealth and they... Um, so they had to work really hard and they had to overcome challenges and, uh, you know, really just really try to create stability. Often they came from really poor families. And so they're just that, that sort of inborn or not inborn, it's not inborn at all. It's, it's experiential resilience and, and um, you know, being able to withstand challenges and also have access to those values. That seems to, that seems to depreciate in every generation. So it's less in G2 and then it's less in G3. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, so I found that is, that, is that something that you've, um, is also true in your experience? I, I would say absolutely. It depends on mm. the type of family and it really, mm. I think, expresses itself in 
in different ways, but yes, uh, inherently, uh, actually last week I, I was meeting with uh, a family, um, one, one of the G2 members of the family, mm-hmm. and we were touching on some of these topics. We were going through a, a design of, of the, his family's estate plan. He has two young kids that are around my age. They're, they're probably younger than the, the girls that you work with, but mm-hmm. he was having a lot of these conversations in terms of they run a successful business and he's you know, not sure if the business is going to make it to the third generation just because mm-hmm. his kids are so young. But, you know, we started talking a lot about he grew up in a different environment than his parents who started the business and his yeah. his children are going to grow up even in a different environment than he did mm-hmm. in terms of what the business is for Absolutely. them and, and the and the, the family's wealth. So there's, I think, a, just a natural, like you said, progression there. I don't yep. necessarily believe it's good or bad, but I think it exists just by virtue of how the family progresses. And, and it's a topic all the time with our families. And again, yeah. our model here at Copper Beach is protecting that wealth generationally. And, and mm. there's, there must be things in place to be able to control the assets uh, from an asset protection standpoint, but more protect the assets for bad mistakes that children that may not mm-hmm. be able to deal with that wealth emotionally or, 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 or technically they, 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 they don't, you, you want to protect it. That's our goal. So yeah. your, your model yeah. is the emotional connection to that more than we get involved. And I think I shared mm-hmm. that with the first conversation. We don't see a lot what you see because we don't dig deep enough, but that's not our role. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought this yeah. would be a fascinating podcast because there is a very, very important part of the, of your world that, that that we don't we don't see, but we probably need mm. to see a little bit more deeper. But we don't have your expertise, which is why I thought this was yeah. a fascinating topic for today. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. You know, I, I think what you said, Michael, is really interesting. Like it's neither good nor bad. I think it has a potential. It has a potential of being bad. It can be bad. It's not always that, and sometimes it's different. You know, but but I think that this wealth we want it to be empowering and enabling. Like my my students, they're going to grow up to be. Kingmakers, you know, they they um they are going to influence so many people's lives, uh, and most importantly, they have to sit in the mo- their own selves and and ask themselves, like, well, what's my value? Who am I outside of this money? Especially, you know, that's an especially out- important conversation in a society obsessed with money. Um, and and then how can I sh- how can I be a good steward of this money and embody those? philosophy is that like now by G3, I'm very distant from. And, um, and, you know, I think the, the one thing that the ultra wealthy, you know, can't cling to is this illusion that money can solve their problems. Like the most other people are like, you know, if I just had enough money, like these problems would go away. And that's really true for things like the lowest end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like shelter, you know, safety, all of those kinds of things, food, um, but as you go, as you climb, climb up that, that hierarchy, actually that money doesn't insulate you. And sometimes it can create a whole set of different problems. And, and, and to answer your first question, John, you know, what's happened during the pandemic is, um, is that everyone has been become isolated. Uh, and particularly, you know, these, these young people were already sort of isolated with the influence of media, uh, social media in their lives and the technology and devices. And uh, they're already less social than previous generations. And then that really has a profound impact on increasing anxiety levels, feelings of isolation, feelings of alienation. 
that's the travesty for young people to for these young people to nego- to have to face because they actually have access to so many resources but even that like even that can be it's it's almost like there's a, a tremendous amount of guilt and shame that they're negotiating these because they're like well i have access to this or if you're a parent you're like well i have access to this i can give my child anything and i'm throwing all of these things at my child and nothing is changing it so no one was this this pandemic was sort of weirdly equalizing in that way that no one was no one was free from those kinds of feelings um and then all of the other all of the other things were exacerbated and i can talk you through what those kinds of things are so uh i'll give you an example in my and uh, in, in the in the example of my student emma so i want to be clear that's not her real name and i'm going to be changing names and any identifying features um of the stories i tell just to you know protect the privacy of my clients so so when i met emma she was in high school so she'd withdrawn from her mother her siblings her family life in general right so whenever she did engage she lashed out against mom against dad against her younger sister and like a frequent strategy for her was to go to her room escape to her room she would order food she would eat it there um and she would bind herself from to her smartphone screen numb herself with instagram tiktok netflix um she had really poor sleeping habits and she had a really bad body image so she ate in really unhealthy ways um and she exercised all the time in a sort of compulsive way the very little free time she had because she was attending a prep school very elite prep school so she had just a, a huge amount of work to do and so like anytime anyone spoke to her in the family at home she would overreact she would snap scowl snarl complain whine and you know previously she didn't enjoyed a really lovely close relationship with her mother and then she just began concealing her thoughts and feelings from mom and rolling her eyes at things that she used to love and these are the kinds of symptoms that i encountered when i first saw her now during the pandemic these were exacerbated because her sense of isolation was even more extreme she didn't have any social outlet really all of the social out- outlets were um electronic you know over over facetime whatever else no real in person contact no in person contact with her teachers and uh and actually before that she'd already had like a a weird relationship with her friends where she would complain about them all the time and bitch about them and judge them and then in front of them she would be you know she would have to pretend and because she was also really afraid of social rejection which so many young people are and what the pandemic has done is completely exacerbated because then all social contact was over instagram tiktok texting uh and and it's non-stop as well so so it's it's you know it said you can access it at any time or day or night so there's, there's no reprieve from it especially when something's going wrong or when you've misstepped or you're trying to you're trying to figure things out figure out a relationship or something like that so the so these things you know you know she was she was not happy and this was like so most of these symptoms i'm describing in fact all of them were before the pandemic and all exacerbated by the pandemic so before she was constantly feeling depleted, angry, anxious, ashamed. And the biggest sort of travesty, she felt she had no control over her life. She felt paralyzed. Now, this young woman on her 21st birthday is going to inherit a colossal sum of money. Why is she feeling paralyzed about her future and and, and you know, paralyzed to improve her side of circumstances? So, John and Michael, you're both parents. Eric, are you a parent? I am. Yes. Okay, so my uh michael 
you have very young ones. What happens when your young ones are in distress? When your when your six year old is in distress, what, how do you feel? They go to grandpa's and grandma's house. <laughs> I, sh- I just ship them off. I don't have any. Mom and pop up. They're all yours. Uh, no, I would say you, you, you want to comfort them. Yeah. 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 Now, John, your children are grown up, right? They're, yes. they're adults. One of one of them is with us. Um, that doesn't mean they're free from issues. How do you feel when your grown up children are in distress? I, I feel stressed with them, uh, but most certainly they're yes. older to express more deeply what they're concerned about. And I try to cancel as not as a uh, necessarily as a as a father, but as a as a friend, the first step mm-hmm. and obviously as a father, the second step. Yeah, well, I think the most crucial key thing that you said here was that you feel stress with them. And there's this there's this old proverb. It says a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child. And so when your child is experiencing these things, I think, you know, still, still, I think mothers, mothers bear the brunt of it, but, but actually I've worked with several families where the mother is absent um, in some way or another. So fathers also feel it. I don't, I'm with three fathers right now, I do not want to dismiss the experience of fathers at all, but um, I'm mainly in my work, I work very closely with mothers. And so in this case, you know, imagine having a child like Emma's mom's mom has to negotiate this every single day. And so what happened to her is that she constantly felt rejected. Like her daughter rejected her words and touch when she previously would would accept them and with, you know, happily. And she also felt really helpless because she herself had been sort of battling a little depression and over the course of her life. And she was like, oh my God, I try to give my child everything. And she's negotiating these, She's she has anxiety the way I do. And uh, so she, so her mom, Emma's mom, felt really helpless. She felt that she tried so many different things, so many different tutors. Um, they'd gone through a number of therapists that Emma rejected. They contemplated SSRIs, which are anti-anxiety medication. You know, the, that was that was a complicated conversation. Basically, nothing was working, and her mom felt impotent, unable to help her. She felt angry. Um, at herself, at the situation, and sometimes even at Emma, you know, which I think is, which, you know, which is understandable because you're like, why is this happening? I don't want to feel angry at you. I want to help you. I'm so frustrated. And then the, the added to that tragedy was that, you know, Emma has a younger sister and the younger sister is significantly younger than her. And so, um, so Emma's mom felt like I can't even help my younger daughter like all of my time and energy is going into this one to, into the, in the to the elder one and then not just neglecting the younger one but or feeling like you're neglecting the younger one but then also not putting uh not being able to be a present and uh you know with full energy in your other relationships like romantic relationships so emma's parents are divorced and but emma's mom is dating someone else a really lovely man and so she wasn't able to put energy into that and then uh, into her friends, into her, for her parents. She wasn't able to be a good daughter. She wasn't able to be a good sister. And then most of all, she was not able to be present for herself. So, you know, it's complex, um, very complex, complex. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, and I think parents, but particularly mothers have to negotiate like a near constant judgment filled zone, like from in-laws, from friends, from media, like you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. And that's something that women negotiate anyway, even in 2022. So it's like near constant feelings of failure and shame. And um, and that privilege, and you know, here's what's what's interesting, that, that their privilege, their enormous wealth, and it is 
enormous did not protect them. It just did not protect them. And I think that that's the most important thing here. Like kind of reminded of, um, I don't know if you guys heard in the news that Elon Musk's eldest child, transgender daughter, changed her name to her, her mother's last name. So she's taken on her mother's maiden name, Wilson. And she filed in the, in the name change request, the, the, the legal filing, she wrote, I'm no long, uh, I, I no longer live with or wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just, that's, these are just, I'm, I have no direct um, knowledge of this, uh, this, that dynamic or, or family, but, uh, but that's an example of what, of what can happen even in tremendous wealth. I mean, Elon Musk, how much wealth does he have? I mean, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that didn't insulate him. And, and he's spoken and written about how much pain that caused him. So, so that's, you know, that's sort of what we're dealing with. Um, and, that, and, that, that's, and it's such a travesty because when I worked with really, you know, I've worked over the years with um, very children on the other end of the spectrum. So really poor um, immigrants, just, you know, coming children of immigrants, like children who would have to miss our sessions because they were like, I have to translate for my dad because he is a taxi driver and he needs to fill out the insurance forms and he doesn't speak in English, like things like that. I babysit my younger siblings, like get a second job to support my family. Like these are 14, 15 year old children. So in those instances, you think like, okay, this is a resource issue. You know, we wish we lived in a society where they had resources like access to childcare, access to healthcare, you know, fair wage, all of those kinds of things. But this is the complete, the, what the children I, I now predominantly focus on are children of the, the complete other end of the spectrum. And they are dismissed for these problems. Like the, the parents are dismissed and the children are dismissed because it's like a major shame. Like I shouldn't be having these problems. Like I shouldn't be having these problems. And there's, there's, there are very few people to talk to. Now, I do just want to say I'm not, it's not like, um, the, the people I'm dealing with are incredibly privileged and I'm not dismissing their privilege, but I, but it, it's also like, it's, um, they have a whole other set of problems that, then they are also human beings and then they need support. And it's an extra travesty because they technically have access to whatever they want to, and it, they're still struggling. And that's, you know, no, no person should have to negotiate that. You know, get back to the COVID uh, issue, which, which, which I, I found it fascinating when you and I talked about it, is that we're yeah. still not sure what that's going to look like 10 years from now. How has it really affected these kids or the young yes. adults? We don't have yes. perspective of that because it's really, I mean, the last time we did this was 1917, I think, with the, with the other people. Yes, Spanish so flu. Long time yeah. Ago. yeah, so, so mm. we're not sure how, how much impact this is going to have mostly all these kids, whether they're rich or poor, we don't know. And that's going to be a challenge for the parents. But what was good news, I think, in your situation is that the mm-hmm. mom recognized that she was in, uh, unable to help her daughter and reached out to someone like you, which is yes. which, which shows that, you know, she's people are screaming for help. Where, where do they go to get it? Uh, and whether you have wealth or not, uh, how many people in the world are like you? Uh, yeah. How many people in the world like us? That we we dabble around the edges in this arena, but not mm. the emotional side, just the financial side. We try yeah. to we try to build things around that to protect it, but mm. we, we don't cross that that bridge to where you live, uh, which I think yeah. is, is going to turn out to be one of the most important parts of our world going forward because of what mm. the pandemic did. I really I really believe that. 
Yeah. You know, sadly, it's true, John. It's, um, you're right. There are lost years. I mean, just two years in the life of someone who's 14 or 15 or even 21. That's that's huge. It's huge. Unbelievable. We, we, we have better look at it because of our age, ages on this call is, but the young kids, I mean, that, that's like a lifetime. Think about two years to a 14 year old. What percentage of life is that? Well, I mean, I just, I I was actually thinking about that the other day in terms of Mm -hmm. when you're a teenager, you know, two years, it does seem like a lifetime. You, You can remember so many of the memories when you were that age, whereas now as an adult, uh, it you know two years the last two years just seem to blink by in an eye mm, um, yes, and, and not yes. that you don't have memories of that but they don't yeah. I think stick a, as much as they do no. when you're in your adolescent years so yeah that i think has a has a huge impact yeah uh, completely and 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 also like it's like your body's changing so like huge yeah. changes in your physical body your mind is still developing you know for um, i think it's 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 so huge. And then to feel so isolated. And this was that sort of isolation piece was actually happening, you know, before the pandemic anyway, like the time spent on Instagram, like much more socializing um, over the internet. Now, I imagine if there are any teenagers who ever <laughs> listen to this, it's like, you know, how many more times is like an adult going to like roll, you know, complain about Instagram? But, but, but I, I think that, you know, I accept that these are necessary, or not necessary, but kind of inevitable parts of our lives. I don't think Instagram or TikTok's going anywhere anytime soon. And so it's like, how do you manage oh, that agree. properly? Yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like one of the things that Emma was doing when I started to work with her is that she was numbing herself on Instagram and TikTok. And it was, it's interesting. Like before the pandemic, she described it as, um, you know, just something like something made her really uncomfortable. And then during the pandemic, she described it as a, uh, an explosive device in her pocket. That's what, that's how she referred to her phone and specifically Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she said like, whatever specific insecurity she was experiencing in that moment. So whether it be body image, sexual attractiveness, uh, intellectual prowess, prospects for college, uh, you know, you name it, uh, clothes, like, whatever books you've read, whatever the specific insecurity she was feeling, she could find something on Instagram, someone on Instagram, be it a friend or some influencer or celebrity who made her feel so much worse about it. And that, and that is borne out by research that Facebook itself conducted Facebook that owns Instagram. So sure. You know, you, you all know of the, um, of the excellent Facebook files reporting from last year. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so just want to read this. So in one of the slide presentations from March 2020, the, sli- the slide reads, this is Facebook's internal slide. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. And then, um, and then another slide from 2019 reads, we make body image issues worse for one in three girls. Yet another reads, teens blame Instagram for increase in, increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. So you know, these are not, um, these are, these are things that Facebook itself found in, in their internal research. So, you know, this is, it's coming from the horse's mouth and it is confirmed in my own experience from every single young person I have ever worked with. So, and then what happened during the pandemic is, uh, you know, at least in school, like when you're in school, you have forced time away from social media because, okay, maybe you can surreptitiously check your, um, devices, 
uh, you know, in class. But a lot of teachers have pretty strict rules about that. And then, okay, maybe you can still receive in text messages, uh, text messages sort of illicitly like on your laptop um, mm-hmm. if, if you have that connection. But but mostly I think teachers, you know, especially for hands-on subject, like say doing science experiment or, or math that requires like working with a pen and pencil on, on a piece of paper, um, that's like a forced, at least forced distance from it. What happened when my students became full-time remote is that it was, they were like basically on Instagram the entire day through every single class there was no reprieve. There was no reprieve. And and not just Instagram, but all of these other things. Uh, the news, I mean, that's the other thing they want to be, they want to be really like conscientious young adults and want to know about what's going on. But I actually most, so I, some of the first things I do when I work with them is I make them, you know, delete the New York Times app or delete whatever app they have. And I'm like, you can read the news like in an intentional way on your browser, on your laptop, but to have constant updates like there's been a mass shooting here. There's a war here. This person was, I mean, it, it's, it's horrifying as a young person to, to be bombarded with that climate change, all of those kinds of things. As a result, they feel so much, they feel a kind of nihilism. Like what's the point Well, everyone's going to die? The world's going to implode. Like a lot of them are feeling that way. So, so I think that that's the other thing that was really exacerbated during the pandemic. And it was like, I can't see anyone have no social life to speak of, just stuck at home. I can't even really go outside. Like the ones who had anxiety, like Emma has a lot of anxiety, just going outside and risking exposure to COVID was such a big deal for her. And so she, you know, it was so difficult to try to negotiate the safest way for her to go on walks because she needed fresh air. You know, she she needed to exit her apartment, like her palatial apartment, but nonetheless, like that, that, the, and that enormous size of that multi-story apartment that she has in high rise did not, you know, she felt she felt insulated. She felt really isolated and alienated during that time. So, Prajada, let me let me ask you a question. Maybe it's just I, I don't mean to sound you know negative in any way, but mm. would you agree with me that parents really have very little control over this? You know, John, that's a complicated question. Yeah, that's, I, why, I, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. I, as a <laughs> yeah. parent, I mean, Michael, yeah. he's a young parent. He's got yeah. six years old, six year old, and a three year old. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely out of this world because my, my three kids grew up differently, obviously. Yes. But different parents world. today with TikTok, with all the social media, mm. they're, they, they lose control almost instantly as the kids develop a relationship with their phones and their technology that that, this is what happens behind the scenes and parents don't know what's happening. Am I correct? That is, that is absolutely correct. I I think, you know, the, the, it's probably like the worst for the kids who are teenagers now or older teenagers now, because what happened literally over the course of their lifetimes that what the iPhone came out in 2007, I think, um, or no, maybe later than that. Um, and uh, and so like that's when the the smartphones sort of invaded our lives, right? right. And um, and so we began interacting with them with really very little understanding of what they were doing and what the and the impact even of the impact of the internet. So I think parents were like, yeah, it's a great way to connect with my student uh, with my children, and like everyone else seems to have one, and let me get this for my child and and yeah like these same this is how they connect with their friends and like now now i think michael you're in a much better position because you're aware of it in a way that um let's say parents who 
had children your age 10 years ago uh, were not aware of it. No, no one was really consciously aware of it. I mean, I think there were a few people, but it was not, it was not common knowledge, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now you can, you can be, you have a much higher chance of being very intentional about the way that you do this. But I, I think it's actually very analogous to, to the, the broader situation that very wealthy parents face, which is that this is a reality of our lives, right? Social media, the internet, smartphones, they're a reality of our lives. And they're going to be reality of our children's lives um, and much more than they ever were of our lives. And so the, the, the answer, I think, is... Um, you know, I think it's a little bit too defeatist to just be like, I have no control over this. I don't mean to dismiss what you're saying, uh, John, because I think largely it, it can feel like that. It really can feel yeah, like that. Yeah, that was my right? point. Yeah. That yeah, was, yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. But there are really intentional ways and they go into, you know, they go into the shifts that we want our children to, children, young, you know, young adults, those cresting the hill of adulthood to experience so that when you encounter, let's say when you encounter this um, image of this person with a perfect life or someone who, ha who has something that you want that you don't have, that there's a, there's a way to think and behave in that way to get yourself back to the center, right? And then, and then of course, like there are the basic things, like let's try to limit the the amount and, um, but but I, I, I sort of have to acknowledge that sometimes that is, it's difficult to impose those. There might be different opinions with different parents, et cetera. But, but really, I think the ways that I address that in my practice are through taking my students and their parents through four key shifts. And these shifts aren't like you make the shifts and there you are. The shifts are you learn to make the shift and then you keep making that shift because you're going to always be in positions to th that you're going to have to negotiate. So this is a challenge, a continuous, continual challenge in our lives and the lives of, of uh, emerging adults and children right now. And so there are ways to, to handle it in intentional and responsible ways. Uh, Aprajita, that is, I think, a, a great uh, place, unfortunately, to stop. Uh, but I, I, I'd love to have you back on to really go through those four shifts, if you wouldn't mind, because I think that that is, uh, you know, really where we can maybe hopefully start to wrap our arms around this a little bit more and help uh, yes. guide our listeners a little bit more. So I'd love to have you back on. And hopefully we can cover those four shifts uh, on uh, part two. Yes, I would love that. I would. Yes, I'm all about transformation, not information. So we've talked a lot about this problem. And I think it, I definitely want to talk with you and 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 have a conversation with your viewers about listeners about about the what to do about this yeah this is this has been wonderful thank you so much oh, absolutely fabulous thank you thank you both yeah this is this has been incredible i'm looking forward to part two um if you don't mind i'd like to ask a question that maybe you can answer in part two okay all right. So we know in goal setting, uh, emotional anchors are, are very, very positive. It's a very positive mm -hmm. thing to have emotional anchors that can help you keep your eye on the prize, so to speak, or eye on that mm -hmm. goal and why mm -hmm. you're doing something. So mm -hmm. for those early teenage years, they're due to hormones mainly. There's so many mm -hmm. emotions that emotional mm -hmm. anchors can be very negative, right? In that short mm -hmm. span of time, when they're experiencing something, COVID, lockdown, isolation, 
the emotions that they feel, they can also tie emotional anchors too. I would love for you to address how you help them break those chains from mm. those emotional anchors that are keeping them in that spot, not allowing them to move forward. Because I think that's what a lot of parents are trying to figure out. How do I break the chains of this one incident or these multiple incidences that are tied together that yes. are now weighing them down to a point where they can't thrive like they should at this age? So that that's an excellent question, um, Eric. And I, that's actually the very first thing I will be. That's a very uh, speaks to the very first shift that I um, I awesome. take my students through. Yeah, happy. Fantastic. Looking forward to discussing that with you. Me too. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, John and Michael, thank you for bringing her on and thank you for bringing her back. I'm, I'm so excited about part two listening audience. I hope you are too. Uh, make sure that you're you know here for that. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, John and Michael, again, thank you for facilitating this. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Preece. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this will actually help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.